Namaste, it's Renee, and welcome to my podcast, Peace, Love, Abundance. This podcast is a place where I share my journeys, teachings, and lessons I have learned from being a well-known yoga and Ayurveda instructor, a master herbalist, and a holistic esthetician for over 15 years now. And I am also now licensed in both Colorado and Hawaii. I like to sum it all up into calling it daily self-care. With the rising cost of healthcare, we are hitting an apex where we all need to know more and take better care of ourselves daily. And there's no excuse not to take better care of ourselves daily. There is a plethora of info at our fingertips, and we know so much more about the human body than we ever have. My goal is to inspire, promote, and shed light where light is needed. Through movement as medicine, also known as yoga or any kind of exercise really, just get your butt out there. Plus, taking care of ourselves from the inside out as well as the outside in, there is a lot we can do to achieve daily self-care. Appreciate yourself for listening today and taking the time to learn more. I appreciate feedback. Please rate my podcast and share with anyone else who would benefit from listening. And it is with peace, love, abundance that I deliver today's episode. Aloha. On my podcast today, I am excited to introduce you to my cousin Kathleen. Kathleen has always been a positive influence in my life. She's always smiling, always has something to say or share, and is always very positive about it. In her interview today, she's going to share with you how she has connected the dots of her past and moved on into her life as we know it today. And into the future, she's got much more dots to connect, but she truly is an inspiration. When she sets out to do something, she is guaranteed to do it. And we could all use a little bit of inspiration from her because she is a bright light and she is somebody who is very true and honest and authentic. And again, when she says she's going to do something, she's going to do it. A little intro for you. Kathleen was raised on a farm in central Nebraska and attended country school in grades K through 8 before going to a small town high school. She could only dream of other places far and away and would pray that her life would someday take her there. Today, Kathleen has traveled to all 50 states, plus Puerto Rico, Canada, and Northern Ireland. She is president of her own company, KNS Learning Solutions, and is the licensed trainer of the All Stars program, a series of curriculum to keep fourth through twelfth grade kids from engaging in risky behaviors. Her life mission and passion in substance abuse prevention over the last 36 years and her desire to give kids around the world the best possible future is influenced by her own personal life journey. So without further ado, let's listen to Kathleen's story, a true story of authenticity and where connecting the dots of your past can really take you into the future with authenticity and really help the world and change the lives of others. 
Hello, Kathleen. Thanks for being here today. And it's really fun to be doing this with family as my cousin. It's really fun to see you and connect with you even on this level because I've known you my whole life and looked up to you and you've always been an inspiration. So thank you for being here with me today. Well, thank you, Renee. It's an honor that you would even ask me and want me to do this. So glad (laughs) to be here. Thanks. Yes. And Kathleen, let's go ahead and dive right on in. Uh, Tell us your story, uh, like even your how you grew up and how you a little bit of how you got to this point. All right. Well, first, I'm going to talk. Maybe I should first talk about where I grew up. So I grew up in rural central Nebraska. I grew up on a farm and my dad raised cattle and pigs and my mom had a brood of chickens and sometimes we had geese and ducks that we also raised. So when I talk about living on the farm, we had you know, the animal side. And then my dad also raised crops. I mean, corn and beans and hay. And so he was busy every day outside working on the farm. And then my mother, she wrote, um, grew a garden. And there wasn't too much that my mother didn't grow in the garden. Um, And what we didn't eat fresh, we usually canned or preserved, you know, to eat then the rest of the year. So it was a a living, busy farm life. And the reason my dad raised all these critters and had all these crops and my mom grew um, this big garden was because there were uh, nine people. I grew up in a family of nine. And so there were a lot of mouths to feed. So I had three older brothers and three younger sisters. And I was the, uh, I was the middle child. Um, I was the firstborn daughter. So as I said, Renee, you know, you know, my siblings, cause they're your cousins too. But you know, I, I, I always said that after my mom and dad had three boys and they wished for a daughter and I finally came along, they, uh, they loved this first daughter so much um, and thought she was so cool and so fun. They decided to have three more after me. Right. Right. Yeah. So anyway, I was, I'm this middle child, but I'm the oldest daughter. And uh, with that came a lot of responsibility. I, my, my brothers spent a lot of time outside on the farm with my dad helping him, but my mother never had a helper until I came along. And so by the age of 10, I was pretty domesticated already. I was preparing full meals for family of nine on my own. And uh, one of the reasons was because in my family, we, we ate three meals around the table together every day when school wasn't in session. And when school was in session, it was two meals a day. So cooking and being in the kitchen, I spent a lot of time doing that. Um, You know, the other thing farm life brought was a lot of work. I mean, you, you were expected to show up at the meal time on time. So there was no, I, there was no such thing as sleeping in, in the morning. Yeah. You were expected to get up and you were expected to be at the breakfast table at a certain time. And it was hard 
I'm sure it was hard to call in sick because your your bosses were your parents. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. And you never, you know, growing up, I you never got to say you never dared say you were bored or that you had nothing to do because as soon as you did, you were given something to do because there was always something to do. So I was raised, uh, you know, essentially I was raised to work hard, be a hard worker. I was raised to take initiative. Um, There was always something to be done and you were expected to look at what needed to be done and then just go do it without always being told. You know, you had to contribute. You had to do your fair share of the work. And of course, if you're going to live with a family of nine, you know you had to be a you had to be a team player and all of that as well. So, so anyway, that's kind of a little bit about like where I grew up, my story. Maybe a couple of other things as far as being raised in this family. I we also we were expected to go to church every Sunday growing up. And what was funny is there was no excuses you could give for not going that were going to be satisfactory. You know, so. What was interesting is this expectation even continued as we became young adults. And uh, my dad, I remember hearing my dad always tell my brothers when they were of college age, he said, I don't, it doesn't matter as much about what you do on Saturday nights and what time you get home, but you will be expected to get up on Sunday mornings and do your chores and be sitting in the pew in church on Sundays. Right. <laughs> and what's funny is we all still did that, you know, growing up as young adults. And, um, but what was interesting too is Sundays were also, Sunday afternoons were also expected to be kind of a time of relaxation and rejuvenation. So if we were out late the night before, we had an opportunity to relax and nap then on Sunday afternoons. And that was, that was fine. So, so anyway, yeah. So I also, as far as my education, I think this is another big part of my story is I also, I also went to a a country school a few miles from where I grew up. And that was a, it was a two room country school and it had a teacher in each room and it was just a few miles from where you know, where the farm was, but it was one of those things where your parents drove you to school, dropped you off. And then at the end of the school day, they were there to pick you back up. And back then, if the teacher wanted to talk to your parents, whether it was something good or bad, the teacher would just walk right outside the school, right up to the vehicle, and you know, <laughs> the parent would roll the window down, and there was a parent-teacher conference happening right there, you know, uh, in the vehicle. And and of course, if it was something bad, there was always consequences you could expect, you know, by the time you got back home too. But but my parents, as well as a lot of p- the families back then, um, they had expectations that came with school, and that was. You know, we were expected to listen. We were expected to respect our teachers, to follow the rules, get along with others and and to do our, you know, to study and do well academically. So um, so I was really raised in this family with very clear expectations when it came right. to, to a lot of things. And 
So it it was all fine and dandy until we had to transition then from country school after eighth grade into in, into town high school. And um, so transitioning from the country school into high school in town was was difficult. I don't know how it always was for my other siblings, but you know it was a, it was a difficult transition for me. And uh, while it was difficult for me, the high school teachers uh, were thrilled every time they heard another Nelson kid was coming from country school into town school because we had this reputation, not just in our family, but also country school kids that we were well behaved. Um, We didn't get into a lot of trouble. And typically we were a lot of times a couple years ahead in our learning um, compared to our classmates who, you know, went to school in town, um, kindergarten through eighth grade. So I had the expectations of my parents, but there was also these expectations that teachers had of us kids that came from country school. But it was, uh, I I quickly learned when I went to high school in a couple of, uh, just a few weeks into high school that I lived a very sheltered life. (laughs) (laughs) And I began to see things and hear things from my classmates about doing things uh, that about things they were going to do on the weekends or things they had had done already that I was like completely shocked and surprised me. So this would have been in the late seventies when I was started high school, and if you know anything about that time, it was back then that um, alcohol, tobacco, marijuana, and a lot of other illicit drug use was on the rise among kids. And it was very true right there in my my small town high school. And those were the kinds of things I was hearing about. So um, I, you know, I, I was invited um, to partake in some of those kinds of activities, but it was, it was one of those things where I knew I shouldn't and I knew I couldn't. And it's not to say that I didn't drink alcohol while I was in high school. I did. But the few times that I did, it just always felt wrong. Right. And I, and I, I knew that one of the reasons it felt wrong um, when I did engage in some of those activities was because I knew it was something my parents didn't expect me to do and would have not approved of. And that seemed to be one of the big reasons that I think it felt wrong, but I always felt like there were other reasons it felt wrong, but I couldn't tell you why it felt so wrong for me at the time. And uh, so anyway, the, the high school years in town were, were very challenging years to go through. Um, (laughs) Well, it's easy now as a, an adult, which we can get into this a little bit more in your story, but as an adult, it's easy to look back now and just realize it just wasn't authentic for you. You know, not not that any child who goes down a troubling path is authentic to them, but 
you really at that time had some kind of gut instinct in you that was just like, you know, regardless of what my parents think, this just doesn't feel right for me. You're right. It didn't. And so I, I walked that fine line of wanting to fit in and belong, you know, uh, as every kid that age would want and, and want to, that fine line of wanting to fit in and belong, but also uh, not crossing the line and losing something that I knew was really important to me, even though I don't think I had that sense of all that was really important to me. I just knew there was something on the other side that that I was going to lose if I did it. So, so consequently, over time, um, I... You know, I wasn't invited then to a lot of social activities in high school by my classmates because, you know, they they quickly figure out who will and who who won't mm-hmm. and who does and who doesn't do it. And so I I always felt like I probably had that title of goody two shoes, you know, back then, or you know, someone that just didn't want to have a lot of fun. And so, you know, I wasn't I wasn't included and chose to stay home um, a lot of weekends simply because I didn't want to do anything I didn't want to and and cause any trouble. Now, that's not to say I didn't have any friends. I did. I had a small group of friends who, you know, were a lot like me and shared similar values and ideals and interests. And so we would just kind of do our own thing. But we always felt like we were on the outside. Right. You know, so that was that was really, really hard, I think, to always acknowledge and accept. Um, but when I when I think about it, though, too, I also realized that during high school was also a time uh, when I just really, really flourished in another way. And that was more in leadership capacity. Uh, what was interesting is my classmates may not have seen me as someone socially to interact with or engage with. But whenever it came time to put somebody in some position of leadership, uh, then, you know, I was I was the go to person. So, (laughs) you know, uh, elected junior class president uh, to student body president my senior year and and lots of other kinds of titles of leadership. And I kind of forgot this. I came across it not too long ago, but I kind of forgotten that they also elected me when we graduated from high school. My classmates elected me the most likely to succeed in the future. <laughs> so, so you you can't let them down. Well, that that's <laughs> part of it. That's part of it. But I thought it's kind of ironic because here I thought I sometimes I think. I look back and I think, well, you know, maybe they saw more in me than I saw in myself. I think I was wanting to more connect socially in ways back then, but actually I was connecting with them more in leadership ways. They saw more in me as far as that capacity and, and believed in me to be able to do those things and put me in those leadership positions. And so that was an accolade in and of itself. I don't think I saw it at the time as that. I had these really great opportunities in high school though, too. So, uh, you know, after they, yeah, after they voted me most likely to succeed, then, uh, <laughs> I did go on to college. And one of the things was I was really attuned to back then was that I wanted, I wanted to work with kids 
And I knew that I wanted to do something in the field of alcohol, tobacco, and other drug uh, in that field with alcohol, tobacco, and other drugs. I believe that came from, again, my years in high school of seeing a lot of my classmates doing those kinds of things and behaviors and having some strong feelings about it. But just having that sense is, okay, I want to work with kids. I want to do something in the field of alcohol, tobacco, and other drug use. So I went and got a degree in counseling, human service counseling. And I thought what I wanted to do was, you know, work with kids who uh, have gone through treatment. So after graduating from college, I, I did work in a, a group home for girls and a transition house for boys who had come out of treatment. Did that for two years and then realized that that was not <laughs> where I belonged. It didn't feel right um, as far as working on the treatment or the aftercare of the problem. But I didn't quite know exactly where I fit. If I didn't work in the treatment aftercare, where I belonged in that whole field. So I was really, really struggling with where this path was going to take me professionally. So one of the things that happened, though, is when I was in college and also when I was working professionally on this treatment side of the issue, during that time, I had this vision. What would it look like if I went back home to my small town where I went to high school and offered kids then, you know, like I said, this was when I was in college now and a young, young professional. What if I went back and offered to kids that were back there in high school now the opportunity to be in an alcohol, tobacco, and drug-free youth group? Right. What, what would that look like? Would there be other kids like me who are going to school there right now that uh, maybe are engaging in those behaviors on weekends, but really would prefer not to, but are because they feel like they have to, to fit in. Or are there other kids like me back there in my small hometown who aren't They're They're the homebodies. They're staying home on weekends because, you know, they don't have any other options. So I kind of went out on a limb and, and started volunteering my time and went back home during the time I was going to college during the school year, but also every summer for four years, I organized a drug-free youth group. And I don't remember how many kids we started with. And it was just going to be for high school kids at that time. I don't remember how many kids we started with, but... Renee, after four years, there were over 90 kids in that drug-free youth group. Right, which even though town was bigger than your farm school, your town was still pretty small in relative to the big cities that are out there in the world. So 90, 90 kids is actually a really high ratio knowing it was a small town. Yeah, I think there's a total of 200-some kids in the high school. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that's almost half the high school. Yeah. And what happened is over the course of those four years, being a part of this youth group became the thing to do to fit in and belong. 
began to think, you know, there were probably a lot of other kids then like me when I was in high school that felt the same way, but we just didn't talk about it. And we didn't have no, you know, avenue or venue to really, you know, carry that out in a confident, confident way, you know, publicly. So, so anyway, I was just doing, you know, I was just doing my own thing there in my small hometown with the drug free youth group. And, and yet at the same time, trying to figure out exactly professionally where I wanted to go, what direction. And that out of the blue, a phone call came to me from a, a gentleman in Lincoln, Nebraska. He was a director of an alcohol tobacco prevention agency. And this agency was doing programming around the state with kids and parents and schools and communities. So he called me out of the blue and was very curious and inquisitive. He'd heard about this youth group that I was doing, you know, that I had going and asked lots of questions about it. And I had, you know, I didn't know why he was calling or why he was so curious and asking me these questions. Uh, at the end of the phone call, he said, you know, can you come to Lincoln? I'd like to meet you in person and talk some more. And I was like, okay, we can do that. So I went to Lincoln and met with him. And by the time we got done talking, he offered me a job. Wow. And the job was to take what I was doing with the drug-free youth group there in my hometown take my experience of doing what I did there and take it across the state of Nebraska. Wow. And so essentially I was going to get to be paid now <laughs> well, for what I was doing as a volunteer right. and what I was and loved doing as a volunteer though, um, to now organize drug-free youth groups across the state of Nebraska. That was my new job. Right. And Thus, to be honest with you, now looking back, that's, you know, that that's what really began then my career in now alcohol, tobacco and drug prevention work. So um, for the for all these years then since then. But that's yeah. So that's what I got to do then. I got to get paid to do what I was doing as a volunteer. Right. Which that gives me the chills to think about because. That is a lot of, or not a lot of, but some of what I like to promote with, with my podcast or my, my peace, love, abundance presence that I put out there is that, yeah, if you're doing what you love, you had to do it volunteer and work for free, essentially, for a while. However, it wasn't a burden to you because you were doing what you loved. And then you get this phone call of somebody who's willing to pay you to do what you authentically and love to do. Right. And looking back on it now too, you know, it's like the reason I loved what I was doing is because I had lived, I had lived it myself. You know, I'd gone through a lot of the challenges and struggles that these kids in the drug free youth groups were going through themselves. I could relate personally, and to give them some option of which I didn't have, you know, was, I just felt like that was a calling at the time, you know, at the time it was a calling, but it was, 
Yeah, I was, it was much more than that as far as where it then ended up taking me um, now in the last 33 years. It was just really one stepping stone in more callings that I was to get in my life. Right. But that's what makes it so authentic. Definitely. You know, on my Peace, Love, Abundance, I created a, a goal setting workshop or intention setting workshop called Connecting the Dots. Regardless of you being my cousin, maybe even possibly one of my favorite cousins. Hi, <laughs> um, thank you, Renee. <laughs> but also just your story is 100% that whole connecting the dots of at the time when you were going through all those dots, you didn't really know where those dots would take you in life or that it could even be related to your career. But looking back at connecting the dots of your past really started to pave connecting the dots of your future. Absolutely. Sometimes you have to live life long enough (laughs) to be able to have enough to look back on and see, you know, the dots connecting. That's one positive thing about getting older. Yeah, I look back now and I think, okay, thank God for the upbringing and the sheltering the sheltered life that I was able to live on the farm and in the country school, because now one thing that I've learned as a professional is that the later the age a young person is before they begin to drink or smoke or do those other things, the less likely they'll have problems later in their life. And so honestly, that farm life and country life protected me. I saw it as sort of a, I saw it as a negative at the time, you know, in some ways being so sheltered like that. But now thank God for the sheltered life that I lived because it bought me time before I even thought about doing things, you know, that some of my classmates in town had already started doing and had been doing for a while before I even got there, you know, blessing that my parents had the kinds of expectations uh, for us and our behavior and the kind of expectations they had of us is just the kind of people we were supposed to be. Right. And that we honored them enough to not want to disrespect them. Right. Um, They did it in such a way that, you know, we, we didn't want to do anything to disappoint them. And so, like I said, it was one of those things where that was one of those gnawing things, you know, every time I had an opportunity to do something I knew I wasn't supposed to was knowing, you know, this is going to, this is, this is not going to set well with my parents and, and to care enough about that. Well, they, um, they really taught you that for every action, there's a reaction or to, you know, being responsible for yourself. But you mentioned earlier that they didn't really give you guys a curfew, but they told you just so you know, tomorrow morning, we expect you to be at the breakfast table and still perform your duties or go to church or whatever, you know. So, I mean, they really put that decision in your hands. And that's, you know, so, so instead of telling you what not to do, they told you, hey, you go do it. You still have to show up tomorrow. <laughs> well, and I, I told people too that we didn't uh, we didn't necessarily have curfews. They didn't ground. There wasn't grounding in our family. It's not that we didn't get in trouble and had right. consequences, but the word grounded never came up. It's hard for me sometimes to explain what the consequences were. Sometimes the consequences were just having your mom or dad tell you that they were really disappointed in you. Right. You know, that, you know, at times was the hardest thing to have to hear. The whole thing about how we were expected to go to church 
the whole thing about faith, it's huge for me today. You know, after I was hired to organize those alcohol, tobacco, and drug-free youth groups, I did that for, goodness, I think it was maybe 12 years, I believe. At that point, we had hundreds, hundreds of drug-free youth groups around the state of Nebraska and thousands of kids involved in these youth groups. And so I am humbled when I think about that, you know, it started with me first experiencing it myself to then growing a group back in my small town to then growing these groups around the state of Nebraska that, yeah, if those dots don't connect, you know, right? Right. Right. Well, and you, you mentioned on your uh, about section on your website too, that you, you found out later uh, that you're not alone in how you research and how you connect these dots per se in what you, what you do. Yeah. So what, um, when I was doing this work with the drug free youth groups, I had stumbled across some research by the, by the name of, um, Dr. Bill Hansen. He had done some research on characteristics of kids who choose not to engage in alcohol, tobacco, or the drugs. And I remembered reading his body of research and beginning to weep because, like I said earlier, I always knew my parents were one of the reasons why I chose not to engage in risky behaviors most of the time, but I always felt like there was something more, but I couldn't tell you what that more was. And it was when I was reading his research that he almost It was almost like he was describing me and describing my life. And I could relate to every strategy that he was recommending we use if we want to keep kids um, from engaging in risky behaviors. So for an example, and and this is another connect the dots moment for me, (laughs) like one of the strategies was kids... Kids who have a vision of something they want in their future and who want it bad enough and see drinking or smoking or fighting or even having sex, any risky behavior, kids who see those behaviors as getting in the way of what it is they really, really want, they are less likely then to engage in the behaviors. Yeah. So kids who have a vision of something beyond today that they want. And honestly, I don't think I had a real clear vision of what I wanted back then when I was in high school, but I did know that I wanted to travel, that I wanted to see other parts of the world, that I wanted to be a professional woman. Um, I was going to get off the farm, you know, I was going to do my thing. And I was going to get out of the small town life. Right. And, and I can tell you that whether I, I don't think I realized it at the time or not, but I, I saw engaging those risky behaviors at the time as not helping me one bit. Right. 
And so that was one thing that I, that now looking back was really working on me. The other, another strategy was, um, kids who have made voluntary personal commitments to themselves that they're not going to engage in risky behaviors. So yes, my parents told me that I shouldn't and couldn't, but it also became something I chose to not want to do for myself. And so I had made this voluntary personal commitment to myself to not want to do it at some point in high school. I can't tell exactly when, but it was when I started owning it myself. Um, and it wasn't just my parents anymore. That's when I really started standing firm in my ground about not doing those things. Another strategy is uh, making sure that every kid has a positive adult in their life who also has positive uh, expectations and standards, but also who just simply cares and supports and affirms you. Right. Um, And of course, my parents were naturally those, but there was a there was a person, a teacher by the name of Mr. Stewart that played a huge role in my life in high school. Um, He didn't know it at the time. I don't think I knew it quite at the time. But as years have passed, it's apparent the, the important role he played. He he was one of those teachers who had an open door policy. And I felt very comfortable walking in at any time, talking to him about my struggles, my challenges I was going through at the time. He's the one that would reassure me, affirm uh, me, um, tell me to keep doing what I was doing, you know, said there's great things that are going to happen for you, Kathleen. I know it. Stay true. He was the one who said what needed to be said and what I needed to hear at the time. So he played an important role in my life, I think, also in all of this journey. Um, And then one other strategy was, of course, the role parents, parents and other important adults like grandparents and such can play with kids' lives. And when I look at what the research says that parents need to do to also keep their kids from engaging in risky behaviors, my parents nailed it. (laughs) And I don't think they knew that what they were doing was exactly what they needed to be doing or should be doing. But I could check off everything that the research was saying that parents needed to do as, yep, my mom and dad did that. They did that. They did that. They did that. There were just all of a sudden so many things from my past started connecting with now research. And I realized that I I was living it out. I was living out this research. And it's one of the reasons why I was able to overcome those really difficult teenage years and not not do a lot of things. I was so moved by that research that I ended up calling the researcher myself. And that was like a bold move, like (laughs) calling this researcher out of the blue and saying, your research made me cry to go into a conversation with him then about each of those strategies. And even then the conversation gave even more clarity for me. Yeah. 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 As other school teachers. So for listeners that might be listening, parents and or school teachers, people who are in a a place of influence for today's youth, you have 
nowadays um, some online training that teachers are really probably, I don't know, maybe I'm speaking out of line here, but really even parents or anybody interested in uncovering some of these mindsets or like you were saying, being that strong influence and finding somebody, but you have online training that other people can access to learn more about what goes through your head, right? (laughs) Yes. Um, Yeah. Well, back up just a little bit before I speak about the training. The training that I do is the result of that phone conversation that I had with the researcher. When I called the researcher and was talking to him about his research strategies and how it was personally resonating with me, uh, he told me that he was actually creating a curriculum at the time uh, based on these strategies. And it was going to be a curriculum for kids and that he's going to develop a series of curriculums. And the first one he was working on at the time was for middle school kids. And he said, so honestly, he said, I'm going to need somebody at some point to pilot test this curriculum once I feel like I have it ready. So he asked me if I would be interested in pilot testing them the curriculum when it was ready to do so. And I said, absolutely. So about a year passed And out of the blue, he calls me back and says that the curriculum was ready and uh, would was I ready to pilot test it? And and I knew that this was an opportunity I didn't want to pass up. So I said, sure. So he came to Nebraska. He lived in North Carolina and he came to Nebraska and did a couple days training with me. And I was sold even more so on this research and now this curriculum that was actually going to, this curriculum was actually going to instill these strategies if it was done well with kids. So he let me take the curriculum and I started pilot testing it and evaluating it. And I think I did about three pilot tests of it. And then the prevention agency I was working with at the time said, you know what, Kathleen, I think Nebraska is ready for this program. And with um, Dr. Hansen's blessing, um, I developed the training model for the curriculum uh, because it was just a brand new curriculum. Nobody had trained others to do it. So he said, all right, developed the training model. So I did. And so I started training teachers and community-based folks working with kids all over Nebraska. So now I started taking this, and this curriculum's called All Stars. So I started training All Stars then all over Nebraska. And then next thing you know, now I have thousands of kids in Nebraska getting this All Stars curriculum, another extension of my personal life, you know? (laughs) And it was going, it was just taking off like wildfire and other states started hearing about it. They started contacting Dr. Hansen and he said, well, you're going to have to call Kathleen in Nebraska. She's the only one that knows how to train this curriculum. Even though it was his curriculum, he didn't know how to train it. So (laughs) um, essentially it got to the point where it was more than I can do, could do with my job in Nebraska. So Dr. Hansen hired me himself to be his national trainer then uh, for all stars all over the United States and in other places around the world too. So I did work 
for Dr. Hansen for 18 years, um, traveling all over the United States now, training this curriculum and all the others that he then further developed for other age ranges. It's one of those things where here was a little girl who her vision was she wanted to travel the world. And I oftentimes as a little girl on the farm would wonder what life was like in other places around the world. And, and, you know, sometimes wished, sometimes wished that I could someday go to these places. And little did I know that this little farm girl ended up going to all 50 states many times over. I got to go um, to other countries that I would have never imagined and to start now impacting kids now around the world with my work and my passion. And so it's another dot that's been connected. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so have you ever been, have you ever been in a moment, like, have you ever been in a place in a moment where all of a sudden you think I've envisioned this moment in my past? Like I'm here in this place, in this moment right now. And while it's happening right now, it just seems like this is a moment I sort of lived previously so as this little girl that grew up on the farm I remembered being very intrigued by the um, watching the news world news about the conflicts between the Protestants and the Catholics in Northern Ireland at the time and watching sort of the the violence right. that was breaking out in the city of Belfast, Northern Ireland, um, over religion. And just standing there in the kitchen, on, in the farmhouse, watching these, you know, news clips about this and wondering, why are people fighting? Like, why can't Catholics and Protestants get along? Like, why are we killing each other over this? And I just couldn't understand that. My work took me to Belfast, Northern Ireland. Actually, many times over, I've been to Belfast, Northern Ireland. And one of my early trips there, I was able to go into a classroom, meet some little 10 and 11-year-olds who had completed the All-Stars curriculum. I trained their teacher in All-Stars And she delivered it to them. And she invited me into the classroom to hear the students talk about what All-Stars meant to them and what they got out of All-Stars. And I remembered sitting in that classroom and hearing these little 10, 11-year-olds talking about how for their future, they most want peace, harmony, and love between themselves and other people who are not like them. Right. And I remembered sitting there and all of a sudden it was in that moment that I realized, remembered standing in the farmhouse kitchen watching maybe some of these kids' parents or grandparents, you know, fighting 
between themselves as Protestants and Catholics and wondering why can't people just get along <laughs> and, um, and realizing that a program that I was training got to these kids in Belfast and that for their futures now, that's what they most wanted. I thought, okay, there's another dot connecting, right? right. I was, I was meant I was meant to go to Belfast, Northern Ireland. I was meant to have this program to bring to these kids. And so, so yeah, Dr. Hansen, um, his, his belief in me and hiring me gave me that world, those world travels and that world perspective. He decided in 2015 that he was going to uh, semi-retire. And I always worried about what was going to happen um, when he decided to do this and what it meant for me and for all stars in the training. And I always imagined who would be the other people that I would love, you know, turn the company over to, and that I would love to work for. So I always imagined all the other people I would like to work with if I couldn't work with him. And little did I know that when he decided to semi-retire that he would come to me and say to me, Kathleen, you will continue training all stars um, to do so, I'm going to give you the training license and you will be the sole trainer for this curriculum, but you you have to do it as your own boss. Wow. You have to start your own training company. I think I had a moment of freaking out when he said that because, Renee, I never, ever I've had a lot of visions for myself in my future, but one vision I never, never had was that I would have my own training company or be my own boss. And that took me uh, by surprise. I had to actually contemplate it quite deeply for quite a while before I accepted the gift and the challenge. <laughs> I am the sole trainer now for All Stars, and I am doing it under my, as my own boss now with my own training company. And so I have been now for four years. And so you are right. I offer I offer online training for teachers who are working with kids in classrooms. Um, I have All Stars curriculum for kids fourth grade through twelfth grade. So I could trade teachers in any of those grade grade ranges. But I also, All-Stars can also be done in community settings, such as after-school programs or community centers, recreational programs, or even faith-based communities. So I also train a lot of people who work with kids in just community settings. I, it, most of my trainings are now recorded online, available for people to do at their own pace or with a training class if they so prefer. I've you know, after you've traveled for 20 years, um, you kind of prefer to just stay grounded a little <laughs> bit more now. Right. So I kind of lived out my dream of traveling the world as, as much as I I've probably wanted to. So I'm now quite happy if I can stay home, stay grounded and do my training uh, online with people. But I still do go out in person and do training as well, because I also realize I still need the people connections. So so yeah, a lot of my trainings are now available online and uh, through my own company. Nice. See, that's why I've always admired you so much. And and it's interesting that you say that while you didn't envision him giving you the company and the license to be your own boss, he saw that in you definitely. You know, everybody else sees it in you. He knew you could do it. <laughs> yeah. 
And that's, and that's one of those things where whether it's a Mr. Stewart, right. Who told me, you know, I, I believe in you. I see great things happening you to, to, um, Bob, the, the gentleman that called me up on the phone and was inquisitive about me doing drug-free youth groups and saying, come work for me. I believe you can do this across the state, even though, again, I had no vision of doing that ever. Um, to, yeah, Dr. Hansen, to, you know, here's the deal. It's one of the most common things people say after a training with me is that they can see and feel the passion that I have for what I do. Right. And that it's very contagious. They feel it. They believe it. They catch on to it. I believe if you can find that one thing in your life that you're passionate about, then it's easy to believe in it. It's easy to do it. You're going to love doing it. And so I always feel like I found my sweet spot. But the sweet spot came going back way when I was a little girl. Right. (laughs) Connecting those dots to the past. Yep. Yep. You know, I, for me to be in my sweet spot, I had to go through all the challenges and the struggles that I did um, as a teenager myself, but also just every time an opportunity came in front of me to have the faith, you know, in myself that I could do it. Yeah, I feel very fortunate that I am able to do something that I've personally lived out myself and that I'm passionate about and so believe in. Right. Which I think that now is a good segue for you to share with us what brings you peace, love, and abundance. Well, I'm a pretty simple girl. <laughs> it's pretty simple. It's not very deep. My answers are very personal to me. So I believe peace for me is knowing that I'm doing what I was meant to do in this life, that I have a purpose for being in this life, and that I'm living it out. Um, it's required me to to recognize and acknowledge that everything in my life, every moment, every person, every challenge, every opportunity um, has led me to discovering this purpose. But I also have to stay open and be open to the unknowns yet and the unexpecteds that are still ahead of me in my future to continue seeking and living out that purpose. But for me, that's that brings me peace, knowing I truly believe I know that I am doing what I was meant to do. Nice. In this world. As far as love, it's for me, it's really the relationship that I've had to build and build and, and nurture with myself um, on this journey towards peace and purpose. But also the relationships and the friendships of others that I've been blessed you know, to have along the way. Um, There's been a lot of cheerleaders. There's been a lot of advocates. There's been a lot of people who've actually challenged me in in positive and healthy ways too. And so for me, love is all those relationships with others, but also the relationship I've had to to build with myself to to seek that purpose and, and to also live it out. And abundance is just knowing that I think abundance is knowing that what you are meant to do in this life and then having the opportunity to do it can really make a positive difference in other people's lives. And to know that that's what I truly feel like I'm doing. 
I'm living out my purpose. I'm, um, I'm doing what I need to do to, for that purpose. And it really does make a difference in people's life and that it matters. And, you know, it doesn't matter what the accolade is. It doesn't matter if I can say I'm president of my own company or, you know, or the financial rewards for me, that's not abundance. Abundance is making a difference. Right. All the, all the many people you've connected with touched. Right. Yeah. And, you know, some of the people, um, like some of those kids that I met, Back um, in the late 80s, when I started organizing the drug-free youth groups back in Nebraska, around Nebraska, I mean, they're in their mid to later 40s now, Renee. <laughs> they were in, you know, in high school at the time. And and um, I'm still in touch with so many of them. And I hear from them often. And a time doesn't go by when when we do connect that they will speak about how that drug-free youth group in during their high school years for some of them saved them yeah um and how it made them who they are today you know so um and hearing from teachers about how all stars is impacting kids' lives in ways that you know I couldn't have even imagined so for me that's that's abundance and you know? I love it that's a good piece love abundance yeah. 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 Perfect. So, you know, we've, we've been, we've been chatting for a while here now and I really want you to be able to go ahead and can you share with the audience how they can reach you? Like your website address or your email, what's the best way that people can reach you or find you? Yeah, they can go to, um, they can go to my website, um, www. And it's KNS. That's my initials, Kathleen for Kathleen Nelson Simley. So KNS Learning Solutions.com. That's the name of my company, KNS Learning Solutions.com. So they can reach out to me there. If they're also interested in All Stars, you'll they'll find information also on my website about All Stars. They'll also, they'll also be able to read part of my story there as well on my website, but if they want specific, um, information about all stars, they can go to, uh, www.allstarsprevention.com and get more information about those programs as well. Nice. Well, I really want to congratulate you for all of these dots that you've connected and how well things have turned out for you and tell you how much I love you. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and this is just kind of a, you know, circular thing too. you and I just connecting over, over this podcast, right? Right. Right. Two, two cousins living parallel lives that eventually come together in this online world. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I know. See, there's another one. So I'm always looking for the connected dots, but I'm all about that now. So Right, right. Yeah, no, this has definitely been a great discussion or podcast for people out there listening to. Sometimes you do just got to sit back and, and look for the dots as they're coming to you. You can't be in too much of a hurry to force the dots. Continue to follow what maybe your gut is telling you or do what you love. And sometimes things just, you know, you get that phone call. Hey, we want to talk to you about this. Yeah, you're right. I think it's it. You're, you're right. It's just, it's being present in your moments. 
um, being open to what the moments bring you and um, sometimes stepping into those moments and doing doing what needs to be done in the moment, then realizing that all these moments start sort of connecting with one another. Next thing you know, uh, where you were is not where you're at anymore, but yet how you got there, it all goes back, to, you know, to where you started. I'm really now, now I'm, I'm not so scared about the unknowns. Right. And because to me, uh, it's just another possible dot um, to come into my life that I can connect back with something to pass. So I'm, I'm always excited about the next day and the next moment, Yay. you know, so. Yay. Well, just keep doing what you're doing because you're amazing. <laughs> Thank you, Renee. Love you too. Right. All right, Kathleen. Uh, we will leave our audience here. And thank you so much for being here today. You're welcome, Renee. Thank you. Thank you.